been a month since I spoke on the subject because I've been going on vacation out of town, yada, yada. We had praise and worship. And, uh, but First Timothy 3, this is actually lesson number 6 and better together. But I just got this one thing I've got to focus on the few minutes we have tonight. First Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. How many know there's a certain, uh, there's a certain protocol of conduct among us? How many hear me? And you know, the truth is the world ought to look at us and they ought to to say, what kind of people are those? And why are they acting that way? And they should be able to take their cue on how to be successful and have good relationships from us. How many know too often it's the other way around? But I'm telling you, God is in the process of changing that. So tonight I want to talk to you about, uh, in fact, let me ask you a question. What is the protocol for how we treat, what's the underlying motivation for how we treat each other in the body of Christ. What? Wow, that's good. You've read my notes. That's it. So, so the question is, what am I doing with love? Am I doing what Jesus said with love? You know, there is no spiritual growth without growth in love. Spiritual growth is not how many times you come to church a week or how many Bible passages you read or or how many passages you get on version and paste into a beautiful picture so everybody can see it on Facebook. No, that's not spiritual growth. Spiritual growth has to do with how I treat people who don't like me, who don't treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated. Love has to do with how I treat other people when they're treating me like the scum of the earth. How many know that's real love? So can we go a little bit on this? Can we talk about it? Jesus said this, John 13, 34, and 35, and Sean, y'all gonna have to follow me I gave you some of these scripture, but he keeps giving me stuff. So I'm now giving you a new commandment, Jesus said. Now, Jesus was preparing the body of his disciples, the body of Christ, for when he left, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And he said, I said, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Then not just the normal worldly way, just as I have loved you. He knew Peter was, he knew Peter was gonna deny him. And he said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. When you are converted, strengthen the brothers. How many of us have the intestinal fortitude and love of God in us when we know somebody's doing something that hurts us, harms us, you know, vilifies our character, we love them anyway. Wow. That's what he said. Just as I've loved you, you love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not... The size of our church, it's not what we do with our Bibles, it's not the scriptures we put on Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. No, it's how we treat each other that makes the difference. Then Jesus said this to his disciples. You've heard that it was said, Mark 5, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. I love this. You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, nothing he said there is talking about a feeling. It's all action. It's not, it's not. It's attitude and it's action. It's not feeling. It's divorce from feeling. He said, love your enemies. Who are enemies? People who treat you in ways that you don't think you deserve being treated. Bless those who curse you. I mean, they defame you. They say things that aren't true, that aren't right. Do good to those who hate you. I mean, they're doing things that spoil or mar your life in some way. 
And then he says, and pray for those who spitefully use you or those who use you for their advantage. Have you ever been used for somebody else's advantage? And they know it and you know it and you couldn't do a thing in the world about it? That goes on constantly in the workplace. It goes on constantly in families and in all kinds of politics. My goodness, we won't even go there. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even tax collectors who are the most disdained people in the culture in Jesus' day. Do not even tax collectors do the same. They love those who love them. I mean, the guys at the bar tonight, downtown Raleigh, they love one another, patting each other on the back. Love you, man. Sorry you're going through. They treat each other better than some Christians treat each other. Is that true? He said, don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than the others? Do not even tax collectors, that is the most disdained in culture, do that? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or you shall be mature even as your Father in heaven is mature. What bespeaks maturity when I love people that don't deserve to be loved? So I have to ask myself the question, when is the last time I loved somebody that didn't love me back? When's the last time I was nice to somebody that wasn't nice to me back? That's the proof that we've got something inside of us that's different than the world. How many hear me? And then Jesus said this, you're familiar with all this. I'm just reminding you of what you know. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The given is you love yourself. You clothe yourself, you feed yourself, you take care of yourself, yada, yada. And he said, love your neighbor the way you do to your neighbor what you do to you. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands, loving God with everything in me and loving my neighbor. And then, and then so here's the skinny. When we come to Jesus, God does our homework for us and places in us a part of himself. Romans 5, 5, hope doesn't disappoint. The love of God or God's kind of love it has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So how many know we have the ability to treat people differently than the way our culture does? Yes or no? How many believe you have the ability to love people who don't love you back? How many know you have the ability to love people who spit in your face, who slander you, who take advantage of you on the job, who do things to make your life difficult, make your life a challenge? How many know we have the ability? And then 1 Peter 4, 8, this is Amplified New Testament, um, Peter says this, I love this. Uh, Peter said, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Oh, listen to that. Love covers a multitude of sins, amplified adds, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. So see, I read that, I have to slow it down. Do, do I disregard? You know what we really do? If somebody looks at us wrong, first thing we do, get in the car. Why'd so-and-so look at me that way? I mean, that's opposite of disregarding. Yes or no? Oh, you know, pastor didn't say, you know, I, 
I did so and so and it took me three days and nobody said a word about it. Now, what do you think about that? Well, love disregards. You know what we do? We regard. You know, they ain't said a word. I've been volunteering for six months. Nobody even said thank you to me. Hadn't even shook my hand. What of it? Now, we should. But sometimes we get busy and don't, right? So what do we do with that? We're supposed to disregard. Love forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Wifey doesn't say it just right. Mr. Husband doesn't do it just right. And they know about it the rest of the day. Huh? Cold shoulders, the silent treatment, slammed doors, no response. How many hear what I'm talking about? I mean, the question to me, is that disregarding? Love disregards the offenses of others. So is that challenging you like it challenges me? So all through my day, in the office, you know, am I, am I disregarding? You know, I was walking, I was walking, taking a power walk. You know what a power walk is, right? And this guy wasn't paying attention to his dog. And his dog comes running out in the yard. And, you know, so I got me a little, it's dark, so I got me a little flashlight. I got a smart flashlight. And I turned the thing on, and it's beep, 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 beep. And it's, you know, giving a series of, of light pulses to make the dog stop. And my mind said, that guy's crazy. He's not controlling this dog. But see, my heart said, you know, I need to disregard the offensives of others, right? And on and on and on. Is that true? Or the person in the traffic not paying attention, bobbing in and out. Or the person that I just saw on the way to church tonight had to be doing 95 in a 60 mile an hour zone, weaving in and out. Or the other day, somebody that come right in front of me and like that, you know, caused me to wreck and then put his middle finger up to me. Love disregards. How many get it? You know, am I doing that? I just, isn't this good? Have intense, the, the Greek word literally, some translations say, have white heated love. And the idea of that word is, is there's, a, there's a coal that's white on the barbecue. And it's white because it's hot. And you touch it, it'll burn you. Have white heated love. It's intense. That kind of love is like, I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to love you anyhow. I'm going to bake you a cake. I'm going to buy you a pie. I'm going to give you a chalk card for the Chick-fil-A and buy your lunch. Right? How many know we don't do that often? Huh? So he says, can we slow down? Is this okay? Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. Love covers a multitude. Now, what does the word multitude mean? Here's a person They didn't do just one thing. They did 10 things, 20 things, and they don't stop. And every time they look at you, the barb just gets a little tougher. Covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards, disregards the offenses of others. Mm. Isn't that good? Then Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. Now, the word walk is an interesting word. The Greek word for walk literally means to conduct your manner or behavior 
all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week a certain way. It's really a, a word that I think it refers to round. It means regardless of what you're doing, the whole round of human activity, regardless of where you're at, who you're with, what you're engaged in, he says, walk in love. Let your manner of life be a life that is lived in love. And then Amplified says, esteeming and delighting. Now, you know what? In one another. I, I read that. When's the last time I delighted in you? When's the last time you delight? It's so good to see you. How you been doing? You know, when you love somebody else, take the conversation off of you. Delight in them and let them talk about them. So, well, I want to talk about me. Well, then you're selfish, <laughs> right? A narcissist talk. All they think about is me, me. They see themselves narcissus, Greek mythology. You heard me say. He saw himself in the mud puddle, kissed him, said, I love you, I love you, I love you. No, no. You take your eyes off of you, and you let people talk about themselves, and you let them, you know. <laughs> go on and on and on about what's happened in their life, some, something God did for them, some answer to prayer, some big thing that's a big deal to them that in your mind you don't give a hoot about. But you know what? You listen. Why? Why? It, because you esteem and delight in someone. Is that good? Does that challenge you like it challenges me? And walk in love, esteeming, delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. Jesus forgot about himself, forgot about his own needs, forgot about his age, forgot about how much life was ahead of him, and he ended his earthly life for me and you. He didn't think about him, his purity, his perfection, his place in God in eternity past. He only thought about you. Isn't that great? That's what he said. That's why he said it. Walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I get aggravated when all I can think about is how much time it takes for me to do this. And then I want to do with this, but I don't have time for this that I like to do because I've got to do this and then this and they got to do this and got to talk to this person, got to call this. You know, if I'm thinking about others and not me, it doesn't matter. Yes or no? 1 Corinthians 14, 1, I love this, amplified. The first part of this scripture has challenged me for decades, and it still does. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love that we've been talking about. Make it your aim, your great quest, question. When's the last time that your focus, or I can say when's the last time my focus has been and my quest in life is to focus on loving people. Eagerly pursue. It says eagerly pursue love. I was dating Susan 39 years ago. I eagerly pursued her. She eagerly pursued me. She sent love notes 1,200 miles with perfume on them. I like that. She pursued me. I pursued her. She came by my car at work before I moved 1,200 miles away to go to Bible school, and, and she put notes on my car with little, with little hearts and arrows drawn on them. And it was the epistle of Susan to Mitch. 
She pursued me. I pursued her. I went by the hospital she worked at, did the same thing. I bought little stuff, bought her little chocolates, bought her, she loves candy. Don't tell her I told her. But I pursued her. I did things for her. She did things for me. We'd sit on, we'd hang on the phone. At that time, there were only landline phones. Some of you remember those days. We'd just sit there and we'd say, you still there? Uh Uh-huh. We wouldn't say anything for two or three minutes. You still, uh uh-huh. Okay. We just wanted to be near. See, eagerly pursue. Seek to acquire this love. I don't know about you. I can do better at that. Can you? And I feel the challenge and the prompting from the Lord to encourage all of us. Let's pursue what God says is important and it's loving people the way he does. Eagerly pursue, seek to acquire. Make it your aim. Make it your great quest. Wow, isn't it good? And then 1 John three fourteen, we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Wow. How do we know we're saved? Because we love the brethren. And this love is not talking about this, you know, average love that every human has for his friends, his neighbors, his, you know, people who treat him sweet. This is the love that, that, is, that loves people who are mean, conniving, selfish, hard-hearted. 1 John four sixteen. we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. In 1 John 4, 17, and we li- as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, mature. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear. King James says there is no fear in love because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows we've really not experienced his perfect love. So the big deal of life is to love people the way he loves us. How many know God loved you when you were using his name as an expletive? Yes or no? Yes, he did. And then I was reminded of this, Matthew 24, 12, the love of the great body of people will grow cold just before Jesus returns. This is Matthew 24. Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus what the world would be like just before he came back, and he began to talk to them about that. In the middle of that, in the middle of that discussion, Jesus said, and the love of the great body of people during the time before he comes back will grow cold because of multiplied lawlessness. Now, we are in that now. And iniquity, and I love the message paraphrase, for many the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. How, what do you mean do them in? It'll affect the way they love to treat people. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. That's happening today. People are vilifying each other and they're taking on the attitude of the world. Even believers are doing that. You know what? How many know we got we to do it different, y'all? How many agree? We've got to do it different. So I wanted to go here. I have run completely out of time, but I want to say this. You know, how many know, so, so, the, so the bottom framework here is, as a believer, God has placed in me the ability to be what he is. He is a lover, and he loves those that don't deserve to be loved. And he's asking me to love people 
who don't deserve to be loved. He's asking me to love people who do life wrong. He's asking me to love people who aggravate me. He's asking me to love people whose personalities aren't like mine, who don't even think about life like me. He's asking me to love people who on purpose do things to get under my skin. He's asking me to care and be kind to people who don't care and aren't kind back to me. That is the unnatural thing to do. That's the spiritual thing to do. Yes or no? So the gauge of my spirituality, it's not, it's not Bible knowledge, even though the word can mature you. No, it's putting the word into practice. God challenged me in my personal time with him this morning. Be doers of the word. Not just hearers deceiving yourselves. We can hear, but if we don't practice it, it's going in one end or out the other one, right? That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here in the end time. It's going to be so tough. It's going to be so dog-eat-dog that we're going to be challenged to love people the way Jesus did. And I don't know about you, but I want to do that. And I've got another phase of this that I'm going to have to start next week. And I really want to, I really want to go here tonight. But it would take me minimum of 30 minutes to complete this. Our love have been, has been twisted and tainted. How many know God originally planned that we live in homes and families where love is predominant? When God created Adam, Adam and Eve had no belly buttons. They were created from the hand of God, from the earth. God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul. Eve came out of Adam's side. Her body was created from his so that they could be so that they could be one together in this thing called marriage and it's a unique relationship to humans, right? And then in the context of marriage out of their love for each other and the genuine care they had for each other, their sexual union brought forth life. So I want you to see what God originally planned was that the human race be propagated out of a love relationship between a man and a woman. Isn't that awesome? So the very act of conception comes from a relationship between a man and a woman where they're saying, I love you to pieces. I don't ever want to live without you. There's something about you that I can't stay away from. And out of that comes life. Isn't that amazing? Sadly today, life comes out of lust. In a lot of cases. And not love. How many here? See, originally God, that's why, you know, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother, Genesis 2, 24, and cleave unto his wife. The literal word says stick, and will stick to like glue to his wife. Be cemented to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Why did God do that? God wanted an atmosphere for human beings to be created in. And the atmosphere for growth for me and you. It's an atmosphere of unconditional, self-sacrificial love. And before Adam and Eve sinned, they had that. Adam, prob- I, I bet when we get to heaven, if, I hope they're there. I believe they'll be there. Because redemption reached them. Say, Eve, can I talk? Adam, can I talk to you? 
You might hear them say such things as, you know, before we miss God and became so tainted with self-centeredness, thought about ourselves at the expense of each other. You might hear Adam say, I never did anything for myself. Only did that which pleased the Father. And I only did before I sinned that which pleased Eve. I never did anything for me because because Eve was busy doing that. Eve was busy serving me and I was busy serving her. And we loved one another. Not like that now. Now our love is twisted. Our love is tainted. Our love is all about how are you treating me? Are you giving me what I need? Are you meeting all my needs? You're not meeting my needs. I don't love you anymore. When? Right? See, the atmosphere God wanted our personalities to develop in. It's an atmosphere of love. By love meaning unconditional. There's nothing you have to do to be loved. Your heart beats and you have breath. Therefore, mama loves you. Daddy loves you. Even when you fail, mama loves you. Daddy loves you. Even when you, and when you don't perform well, mama loves you. Daddy loves you. I mean, you know, if you're raised in that kind of environment, it creates a whole personality. So you can go out into life's fight and win. Problem now, since Adam and Eve didn't keep it pure, because they took their eyes off of him, off of God. And they put their eyes on themselves. Eve put her eyes on her needs. She put her eyes on that fruit. She put her eyes on that hunger she had. She put her eyes on the, the visage of that fruit hanging on that tree. And she started listening to another voice other than the voice of God. That very one act of disobedience brought a self-centeredness that we're living with today. How many hear me? And then when Adam did, in the light of knowing exactly what Eve did, knowing he would break fellowship with God, he looked at the fruit, the forbidden fruit. He heard God. He remembered God saying, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. For in doing it, you're going to die. And he looked at the fruit and he looked at Eve. And he looked at the fruit and he looked at Eve and he looked at the fruit and looked at God and he looked at the fruit and thought about it. And he committed a self-centered act. He wanted Eve. He wanted Eve at the expense of what God had. And he's the one that committed the sin. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, here we are. We're born into households. Mom and daddy aren't perfect. It took me, y'all, can I get real? It took me a, a few years of life after I became an adult to be willing to say my mama wasn't perfect and my daddy wasn't perfect. They took me to church. My mama taught Sunday school. My dad was a deacon in the church. And I didn't want to admit to myself that my family had dysfunction. There were things that weren't right even though I thought we had a really great home. And if you compare it to 
the norm of culture. It was an, probably an above average atmosphere. But it was still tainted with selfishness. And then as I aged, I had to deal with the effects of what the self-centered atmosphere in our home. You can't help it. You got some self-centeredness in the atmosphere of your home, yes or no? Right? And it produces effects. As much as I love Susan, as much as I love my children, we created an atmosphere in our home. We wanted it to be an atmosphere of love, but it was tainted with me. And it was tainted with Susan and our background and the atmosphere of her mom and dad's home and the atmosphere of my mom and dad's home. And my mom and dad's home, admittedly imperfect but good, the atmosphere of, mom, of Susan's mom and dad's home, tainted but good, fairly good. But as my children aged, you know what? I had to sit down with each one of them and say, you know, Daddy did this wrong. He should have done that when that happened. I made the wrong choice there. I treated you wrongly. I was self-centered. Forgive me. That was pride. I was wrong. I sinned. Problem is today we don't have those kinds of conversations with our children. So we come to church and you hear me read scripture like I just read where the Father's saying love others. Love people who don't love you back. Be nice to people who don't have the capacity to be nice back to you. Show them how I did it for you. We're hindered from loving because we've not known that perfect love environment. How many know in Jesus you can do it? In Christ you can learn to love. You can learn to be loved. When we come back next time, I want to talk about the four false beliefs come from this tainted love we all have to overcome them we all have to deal with them in various ways we'll do that next time the whole answer to everything we deal with in life all of the answers to every relationship problem whether it's with my spouse with my children with my extended family on my job with my boss with people I work with, my co-workers, people in my neighborhood. Every human relationship solution finds its solution in me learning how to love. How many hear me? 42 years ago, when I came to Jesus, I had never heard how important the love of God was, and it wasn't modeled in the church I attended. There were splits, there were divisions, being mean, they were gossiping, there was strife. I may have been in the church and you've seen that. I want to root all that out of here. I just think y'all got halos. How's that? And wings. But I'm just saying, you know, it's not been modeled well. I was raised in church, but you know what? God wants to teach us. He wants us to grow up. How many believe that? How many want to cry out with me for love? So, uh, you know, 42 years ago, I started studying this. I'd never heard it. I didn't understand it. And, and as I went through it, I found out over and over as I read through the New Testament, so many scriptures as we read tonight. They talk about the importance of loving. The main thing is love. 
loving God and loving others the way God loves me, unconditionally, self-sacrificially. And here it is, 42 years later, I still struggle with it. Do you? After all those years, I still struggle with my flesh. I struggle with my responses. And then I see our culture. Our culture is diving headlong. I mean headlong into self-centeredness like we've never seen in my lifetime. That is going to create such division that it could eventually bring anarchy. I'm not making this up. You know what the solution is? Me loving my neighbor. You loving people who aren't like you and who don't do life like you. Demon forces today. The demon forces of hell are seeking to create divisions in every level of human life. Societally, racially, economically. How many hear me? We have to be willing to say no to it. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves.